This podcast is in association with Spotlight Studios, a family of podcasts driven to create unique, one-of-a-kind content. If you have any interest in learning more, please visit SpotlightStudiosPodcast.com. You know, it's about a character confronting a very arbitrary, violent, brutal world. Three. He comes, he destroys, he disappears. So you have to really understand a little bit of what's going on in your mind in order to execute those horrible actions. Two. And you get to experience what violence truly is, which is a sudden subtraction of somebody. And I haven't seen that in film. I think that's extremely unique and risky. And the more that people react to that moment, the more effective I think it was. One. Like all of Cormac's stories, there's a, the questions are more important than the answers. There's a good question at the end. Hey, hi, hello, everyone. Welcome to the green room. I'm here with Aaron Kauser. Hello. And Jonathan Van Ziegel. Hey. We are doing our little green room here. What the hell is going on in that movie? Well, I love it. I love the action. I love the tension of it. This was like their true Western. I was so excited. And, and they brought the amazing action, dark humor, these crazy characters. And I was blown away. When I left the theater, I was very confused, confused about really what it all meant. At that time, maybe it was too much for me to understand being a young, younger person. I heard of a guy who actually thought, I mean, he said he thought that three quarters of the movie was a masterpiece. And the last quarter after it finished, he went outside and he started kicking things. I left the theater very happy with the movie. It was such an intense and an amazing film. But as time has gone on, it's always been a movie that's haunted me. It's always kind of lingered with me. I've always wanted to understand really what they're trying to tell me here. I know movies like this, it's different for everybody. They'll see something in that movie, a, a message that resonates with them different than somebody else. On that first watch through, you are not watching for the deep mental metaphors that are hidden behind the characters and the meanings and everything that is actually happening and taking place in this movie. You're thinking, oh my God, Llewellyn, I hope you get away with that money. Oh my God, Javier, you're crazy and scary. And also, is this is just like a, like a classic violent Western, you know? This is what we were here for. It's a little bit of the old ways with a little bit of the new ways. Whether it's the Western aesthetic of Papa's years, the new wave with this as well in the sense that we are going to show the violence. We are going to show the assassin we are going to show what the hell is actually happening to not just the insinuation all to, all of the time yeah that's also one of my favorite things about this movie is just the modernized western it's incredibly done and the characters that they choose to base them around they're incredibly written and i think they all represent a different stereotypical character that you'd see in these types of movies and the way that they shoot it in these small western towns western type towns in texas just makes it all the perfect backdrop for an epic story that is even bigger than the story that we see on the screen. You can tell there's so much more going on and this is just a small little sliver of an epic massive story. The Coen brothers for me are, are brilliant but Cormac McCarthy the writer of this story is also in my opinion a very brilliant and amazing writer. What a pair to match the Coen brothers and Cormac McCarthy because their styles and their their souls are so very similar in tone. 
Some writers have said in print that they hated writing and it was just a chore and a burden. I certainly don't feel that way about it. Sometimes it's difficult. When you read McCarthy, certain characters represent something. If you break this movie down, to me, it it gets kind of down to the core of what he's trying to say. When you look at Llewellyn, he's the guy who makes good decisions. He loves his wife. He tries to do the right thing, but he still has problems and he still makes choices based off his greed, which leads to being a terrible circumstance. And then you have Anton, who represents the rule of the world, the rule of nature. There's one good and then there's one that is given into the world, into money into being basically a sociopath, but it's a way for him to survive. But to me, the the main protagonist is Ed. And that really is the rule of ourself, of our individual self and our interpretations of this world, especially as you get older. And that's what the title is called No Country for Old Men. The older you get, you're not remembering what's around you. Everything slowly changes. You always go back to your childhood and, and think about how great things used to be, even though they really weren't. And it's just a matter of your perception and, and how you have to stand up to it, be brave in, in a world that has no conscience. And that also is what Anton represents. He goes around and just kills random people who don't deserve to die because guess what? That's what nature does. Maybe there's a hurricane. All those innocent people had this horrible thing happen to them for no reason at all. But that's just the way it is. You have to come to terms with how your reality is. And when you do, it sets you free. You you always have this image of the perfect thing. But I think that at the core of it, there's this, this image that you have, this interior image of something that is absolutely perfect and and that's your that's your uh, signpost and your guide and it's the choice that every person has to make to take off the rose-colored glasses when you choose to keep them on it's a facade that you're playing for yourself to pretend everything is better everything's going to be okay death doesn't happen it's the type of false positivity that so many people have started preaching now today because they can't be forced to look at this reality of the world and say I am going to accept this and still be happy and still choose to live my life at its fullest knowing that all of these things take place and they would prefer to just ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist when in actuality everyone needs to know that these things happen to other people. How are you supposed to live your life fully to the biggest extent when you know nothing about what's going on around you to the other conscious beings that are existing next to you every single day? The choices that we all make, you got to watch these different characters and the rules that they abide to and how their choices affected their path and ultimately their destiny. One of the main themes was greed. We saw that the exchange of money all the time. See these innocent kids having fun and immediately you want to help this person for free. As the older I guess you get, you're just more of a slave to money that generally can turn out pretty poor for you, even though you think it's going to turn out great because you're going to have more finances. Like you said, they're innocent. As soon as they were almost infected by the money, then it changed. He was like, oh, wait, we're going to split that, right? Right. He was like, no, you still have your shirt. He was like, that was my shirt. That's my money. The first seed for these kids to now end up becoming, you know, really just creatures of the world. They get to go home and tell all their friends that that happened, though, and that's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. The challenge was to create this 
person who would feel nothing. He will follow his own ethics, no matter what, and he will do it against his own will. I guess that's the crazy part. Like if something beyond his control or over him is telling him how to act. The four existential truths to life. You have the freedom, responsibility, and agency for only you, yourself, and no one else. Even if you have a loving spouse, a loving animal, a loving mother, cat, whoever, uh, you will never experience consciousness on the same level as that other person, and you will only have your own autonomy. There's the death, human limitations, and the finiteness of life. Every human being, those people that you experience every day living with next to you, they will be dead someday too. We are all isolated. We are all disconnected. Like I said, no experience of the same consciousness. And I was always thinking that there was a superior voice and order that was making a decision through me. And then the meaning versus meaningless of life. Knowing that everything that happens every single day is leading up to a specific point of where you die. So what exactly in your life, the chosen thoughts, ideas, feelings, people, what is all going to give you meaning? Those are just the rules. But so much of my life I've taken, I really loved existentialism, literature and such. So that's just something I found in important to me. But ever since I found that quote about when you die a second time is the last time your name is uttered. And that's when you're lost to time and memory. Stories are the only thing that are going to keep anyone stuck in time. There will be a time in the future where the world blows up or humanity may not exist in the same realm as we do now. There won't be any type of ways to tell these stories. But until then, I think it's really important to share as much as people can with each other. Experiencing life and sharing your experiences is one of the most important things in life. 100%. You know, we're just sitting here with our notes, just talking for five hours about a story and to me has a major impact on my life. Me too. There's certain stories that are timeless and are eternal, almost like they're mystical in a way because they have such meanings to them that you cannot deny it, that greed will bring down people. Standing up and being brave, even though it's hard and it's tough, is the right thing to do. And um, that's what great movies need to be um, immortalized for. The last thing he says is, and then I woke up. That's the end of the movie. The, the last element of this um, contemplation of uh, morality deals with the idea of hope, acknowledges that it's a dream and raises the question of how real is a dream? Is a dream a falsehood? Or to what extent can a dream be a reality? I mean, we covered the fuck out of this movie. Yeah, we did. We did. I don't like Westerns either. Like, for the most part, I literally hate John Wayne. I actually hate him. So um, I do not care about Westerns whatsoever. I love this movie. Yeah. There's certain things about a Western-esque movie that that when it's not just a Western, Mm -hmm. that I I got some things going for it. What would you say this is? What would you categorize this? A Western what? A psychological thriller or something? Yeah, like like a psychological thriller yeah. western western comma psychological thriller yeah exactly yeah. it's like a dream 
fever dream. Fever dream. Maybe it's Tommy Lee Jones's third dream that we're seeing. Maybe Anton and uh, Llewellyn never existed at all. He never really met those characters. He never interacted with those characters. In my mind, maybe they were. it was all Ed's imagination of what he thought now this modern evil represented. Now, that's an ambiguous way to think about it. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying that's what it was, but... Yeah, I mean, you should just throw it out there, man. Yeah, that's not that, ambiguous, good that though. that you recorded. Could it be Tommy Lee's choice to, like, walk past the evil and let it escape into the world or whatever instead of standing up to it if he saw him in the corner and chose to walk past it to just allow the escape of it because he he was too fearful? I, I think in Cormac's world, the, the best questions are far better than them any answer. I don't think it's a hopeless movie at all. I think in their faithful representation of Cormac's work, they would they'd like to put the possibility of hope in, before you. He does start the entire movie telling the story about a guy who got sentenced to death for killing a 14-year-old. This could be like his memoir, I'm kind of thinking a little bit too. The retelling of his life, telling stories to someone else, an old cop friend, his wife, someone. He's writing things down in this sense. And this is the retelling of the story of Anton Chigurh. The retelling of the cat and the mouse and the mouse and the cat and the two cats that are chasing each other and the mouse that has the bag. When Carla asked Ed about the story about the cattle that fell on top of that guy and he shot and it ricocheted and hit his arm. He acted like he didn't remember that story. She's or, like, was that true? And he's like, who? He made it up. He made it up to prove a point. And possibly all this is being made up in his head as well. Hmm. To a degree. Yeah. You, but there's no proof in it. And it's all ambiguous, which is the movies we like to put out there. So right. like if we like assume that he just interacted maybe with that crime scene at one point with his deputy and the rest of it's like kind of built around that. Yeah. This idea I mean, that he has of what's happening. If we're accepting that reality, then that's that's what all it is. They interacted with that crime scene that one time. Right. Because and then the rest of it, you could build that story and all the pieces of the story around it. Mm hmm. Because this is this is Ed's point of view, obviously. Because mm -hmm. you know he starts the movie and ends the movie. This is how he mm. how he has um, in his mind has seen it. Take it take it out for what it is. But I love the movie. I love the Coen Brothers, and I love you guys. And I, I'm very great, great movie, Aaron. Very Thank grateful. You. Great movie. So glad we got to discuss this. Uh, at the end of the day, you want to get surrounded by people that, of course, they do well their job. But most important, they are good people to gather mm. with and and collaborate with. And there's there are people out there that they don't understand that. Uh, tune in next week for some more Limelight fun. Can't wait. It's the best. Whoop. Okay, that's perfect. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <sighs> yeah. What? <laughs> well, we did it. Spotlight. All of our resources will be found in the show notes or on the website. Please check them out if you have any questions.